Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a Ag podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. special episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. Today, I am celebrating the two-year anniversary of Ag State of Mind. Um, today on the show, it's more of a discussion slash webinar slash roundtable meeting uh, slash just a group of buddies all getting on a Zoom call and having a uh, very informal discussion more than that, more of those things than a podcast. So over the last two years, this podcast has afforded me the opportunity to connect and befriend so many amazing people. Uh, and today I get to sit down with five of the closest of those friends, Nathan Brown, Henry Roberts, Jeff Ditzenberger, Tyler Keckley, and Quentin Keningley. All are some of the best guys I know. Uh, Nathan and Tyler are from Ohio, Henry and Quentin are from Nebraska, and Jeff is from the state of Wisconsin. And we get to sit down and we talk about all things mental health, what each one of us has been kind of doing to move that conversation forward, um, and also kind of what it means for each of us to be a father and a husband and um, kind of how to take those take that forward and and try to do the best that we can in that and it was a really cool discussion it could have went on there's no telling how long this could have went on i knew i had to stop it uh when i did or else it would have went into the wee hours of the morning so it was so special and uh, i am really excited for you guys to get to hear this so um no further introduction is needed here is our very special two-year episode Thanks for joining me tonight. This is something where I'm not really sure where it's going to go. Um, I am joined by some of the coolest guys that I've got to meet over the past two years. We're celebrating two years on the podcast, and I wanted to do something super special, super unique. So I have gathered with me in no particular order other than the order they have appeared across my screen. Uh, Quentin Keneally, Tyler Keckley, Jeff Ditzenberger, Henry Roberts, and Nathan Brown. Some of the closest friends I have in the world right now. Uh, had the chance to meet everybody but in person but Jeff and Nathan, but I have a strong feeling that it's all that we're all gonna join up together someday soon. So I'm the first person I'm gonna talk to. I'm gonna talk about talk to Jeff uh, because Jeff wanted Jeff's reached out to me several times, and he's wanted to talk to me about all the new things he's got going on. And you know, Jeff was probably one of the earliest guys to be on the podcast, and uh, a lot has happened for him since then. So. What's been going on, Ditz? Wow, nothing like taking the focus off of you not having a plan and, and just throw it right <laughs> on me there, Jason. <laughs> Actually, there's been, uh, there's been a lot of things that, that have gone on. You're right. And I'd like to welcome everybody else that's on the panel tonight uh, and everybody else listening. But uh, um, COVID 
obviously created just an interesting uh, scenario for all of us. I mean, obviously our farming businesses had to keep running. In uh, that process, I was able to hook up with our um, local Department of Ag Trade and Consumer Protection and uh, was able to do six QPR trainings, uh, one of which Henry actually uh, participated in. Uh, for those of you that don't know what QPR is, it's question, persuade, and refer. It's like CPR for mental health. Um, I also opened up an office here in town. You can kind of see some of my decor behind me. Um, you'd probably rather look at that than my face, but that's <laughs> the way it kind of goes. Um, also got to meet with uh, Charlie Behrens, who is um, uh, otherwise known as the Manitowoc Minute Guy. Um, I know some Omaha Minute Guys, but that's an entirely different situation, apparently. <laughs> but <laughs> it, they, uh, uh, Charlie is a comedian, but he's also a very huge mental health advocate. And uh, we did a podcast together. Uh, I've also recently found out that Charlie is going to include me in his book that he is in the process of getting published, um, which sounds like it's going to be an audio book, which is pretty cool because then I don't have to write anything. Uh, he's just going to use my, just going to use stuff from the podcast. Um, and I also, the, the probably the biggest thing uh, that has happened, I've got you gotten back on the public speaking, um, public speaking venues, just came back from Ohio. I talked to Rupp Seeds down there and also did a, uh, a QPR training for for their people, uh, had 20 people sign up, had 46 show up the day of the class. Oh, wow. Um, apparently, seed corn people can't follow simple directions about signing up the night before. <laughs> uh, so, but it was also cool because they had the, inter the entertainment they had that night was um, Girl Named Tom. And what's kind of cool about this, so Girl Named Tom is three siblings who thought that their si the two brothers thought their sister should be named Tom instead of whatever her name is. And I apologize for not remembering but they were on the voice monday night at the same time that i was on a and e network uh as part of a uh, uh mental health documentary that a and e has uh just released on monday um <clears throat> it's kind of it's it's kind of cool and kind of disheartening in a way because uh we spent two days of 17 hour filming uh, per day, which is like worse than harvesting corn and soybeans, um, less breakdowns. But uh, uh, for, you know, 10 minutes, you know, eight, nine, 10 minutes of actual airtime. Uh, the other thing that I just found out just before I came down here to talk to you guys is the three year long documentary, full length documentary that I've been involved with, which actually Hank or Henry uh, got to be a small part of when he came to visit me. Uh, by the way, out of all of us, Henry is the only one that's visited me. Like, I shower every day, guys. I mean, you can show up in Wisconsin <laughs> anytime. But uh, anyways, uh, that has just been submitted to Sundance. And uh, we're uh, really hoping that that's going to – the the, uh, the preliminary people that are looking at it right now, which are big-name people, um, are really excited about the, the content of it. And what it is, it's four farmers from across the Midwest, myself, one in uh, Ohio, one in Iowa, and one in uh, Minnesota that uh, talking about our, our mental health challenges and, you know, and we've all each got like a secret niche and that kind of stuff. And then of course, all the other stuff that I do in my community um, is involved with that too. So a lot of things going on, um, taking some more classes too. Um, I'm actually in the process of getting into a peer specialist class, uh, which will just enhance my ability to be able to help people. Uh, the only 
Yeah, the only way that you the only way you can become a peer specialist is uh, to have actual lived in experience, and uh, so I'm hoping to fill a niche there, and uh, uh, just trying to get over the whole pandemic exhaustion. Like everybody is just, you know, I've been saying it for months. You guys have heard it. You've seen it on Facebook and my social media. Well, maybe Tyler hasn't because I haven't actually met Tyler yet, but he's a lot better looking than the rest of y'all here. Um, <laughs> I mean, younger looking, I meant younger looking, but whatever, it's cool. Anyways, so, um, but uh, you know, that's one of the, one of the, the, the things that uh, uh, the, the big buzzword, and I've been saying for months, you know, uh, masks hide smiles, but hide, uh, mask hide smiles, but smiles hide depression. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a, never even thought of it that way. That's, a, that's incredible. I, you know, Jeff, you're one of the guys that I look up to. Um, and I, I, I appreciate, and you know, we joke a lot and, but with everything you do, I, I admire you so much and your, your vulnerability is, is just uh, second to none. And I, I commend you for that because it's not always easy to be like that. Um, it's not, a, you know, because when you're, you're trying to put on that, and especially I think as a mental health advocate, you sometimes I think it's almost harder to struggle then if you, you get what I'm saying and anybody can join in then, um, you know, like, Oh, I'm out here talking about this stuff. I shouldn't struggle because I'm, but no, it's not necessarily the case. That doesn't like shield you from anything. So I think Hank, you said you saw the documentary from A&E, right? Yes. Has anybody else seen it? I tried to watch it today, but it right. was the link. Yeah, the link. The, the really interesting part about it, Jason and everybody else, and, and Hank will attest to this, is that I lose it in the middle of my interview. Like they keep, they kept asking me about the drought situation, and of course, I lost my sweet corn crop this year. You know, and what's what bothers me about that is not the fact. You know, out of the fifteen hundred dollars I had invested, I only made four hundred dollars back. The part that bothers me is I usually bring in about $5,000 cash. So I pay my $1,500 in seed costs and, you know, inputs and all that kind of stuff. And then I keep like $1,000 for myself to, you know, improvements on equipment or maybe new tires on the bike. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, but then I donate the, the, the rest of the $3,000. I donate back to my community. Like I give to the veterans and I give to the, to the Habitat for Humanity and I give to the Big Brothers, Big Sisters. So that kind of drained me on top of not having any rain. And they kept, and, and when you go through an interview like that, when you go through a documentary like that, a lot of times they will ask you key questions repeatedly, especially ones that are kind of what I, what I consider a trigger question. And the third time they asked me about, you know, describe the emotions that go through you. Like, what is it? And I just, I was like, it's, it's like you're, you're just, you're trying to do everything right. And it feels like everything's wrong. And I, I went off basically and suddenly I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, you gotta, I gotta quit. You gotta cut. And, uh, when I was done with that, the one main camera guy came out and the producer came out and they're, and I, and I started to apologize and, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't mean to lose it. And they're like, no, this is what needs to be seen. This is what needs to be. And I'm like, if you put that in that freaking documentary, there will be, Oh no, 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 it probably won't make it. Well, it's honestly, and I don't mean to say this to sound arrogant, Hank, back me up if you want, but like to me, it was the most powerful thing for me as a 51 year old father of two, grandfather of one, 
to see an actual emotional outburst, even though it was me, like there, it's, it's a weird relatability. And that's the one thing that, you know, the six of us here, that's one of the things that we push is that, you know what, guys, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable in front of your kids. It's okay to be vulnerable in front of your significant others. It's okay to be vulnerable in front of yourself. You don't have to suck it up, buttercup. You don't have to freaking, you know, keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Like, it's just, it was, it was, it was, ah, yeah, anyways, I'll stop. Because it was, it was awesome. Now, it, you, to you, me, when I, when I watched it, I'll go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just, when I was watching that, out of all the people, when that happened, it made Jeff's story seem real. Everything else looked scripted. Someone sitting in front of a camera, makeup on, other people talking there. Jeff's story was the only one I felt was really real. And when he got up and walked away in the middle of the scene, you know, that really hit home that this is real. It's not just someone making something up for attention to be on TV. It, it, it really drove the point home. I mean, I might have even teared up a little bit, so... That's because Jeff was so ugly, though. Now, he was clean-shaven, then. Oh, wow. Keep it up. Keep it up, Jason. <laughs> Keep it up. So you, you brought up a good thing there. You talk about being a dad and a grandfather. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us, the generation that we grew up in, we saw our dads as these um, kind of indestructible figures, but it, we're finding out that probably wasn't the case. And, you know, I'm going to talk to right here. I'm going to talk directly to Tyler and Quentin um, because you guys have, I think the youngest kids of the, of, of the rest of us, you know, my kids are older. Uh, Nathan and Hanks are older and obviously Jeff's are too. And talking about being a granddad, uh, of course, Tanner's about ready to be a granddad too. So, <laughs> Um, so, you know, I'm curious as to like, how do you frame that with the, with your kids? Because my kids were younger. Um, you know, my kids are still young, but I'm not sure I was the understood, or I don't know if I really understand emotions now, but, uh, as intentional with my emotions now, as I was back when my kids were your guys's age, you know, I know you guys have small, you guys still ride around with car seats, which I don't do that anymore. So I'm curious as to how you guys, uh, kind of present that because it is a fine line. Do you, you're going to go first. You're going to make me do it. Oh, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, it's a uh, totally different emotional anymore. It seems like, yeah, totally. When growing up, it seemed like dad was indestructible. Shoot, I was taking tough pills in my elementary year age, growing up wrestling and stuff, and just uh, don't cry and don't do anything. And now, I mean, you got to emotionally be there for your kids and emotionally support them. And yeah, I mean, life was easy before kids and marriage. It seems like once the kids come on, it just brings another dynamic and a lot more stuff to it and you just gotta a lot more support goes into it to each other to the marriage part and to the kids and being there for them and keeping them safe and supporting them differently mentally and uh physically so i don't know if that makes sense but yeah no, it's just a totally yeah. different dynamic dynamic yeah i've noticed that myself i've noticed like the way i've reacted to my kids uh over the past really over the past couple of years is, is totally different. And, you know, and my dad wasn't, um, 
Uh, my dad wasn't like the mean, tough guy that a lot of them are. I mean, my dad had a soft side that a lot of people didn't notice, but, uh, but still it was a different, you know, he, you didn't really necessarily even talk about your emotions. So, um, you know, you don't, it's, it's a really, uh, it's, it's a kind of a fine line, um, how to, you know, parent the right way. I mean, I don't know if there's a right way, but, you know, incorporate your emotions. And like Jeff said, not, you know, not find fault with crime, but also teach them to be resilient too. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, something that I have found myself paying a lot of attention to. Yeah. I mean, like I've got a six year old, a four year old and a almost two year old. And it's just <clears throat> like, for me, I think uh, in a Bible study I was in, the question comes up is what did your parents teach you about emotions? and how to handle those emotions growing up. And I, I honestly had to write, like that conversation never necessarily happened. Like I'm sure I got told to toughen up and I'm sure I got told, um, you know, the same thing that we were all told at some level, but it wasn't like be self-aware. Uh, hey, when you find yourself in this position, this is, these are things you can do to kind of help, you know, maybe separate yourself from situation get some clarity and then you can step back into it a little more, um, I guess, mindful. Um, but like even like my six year old who's in kindergarten now, you know, like we were talking the other day about me just picking him up from the end of the driveway, which is, I don't know, 900 feet long. Hey, you want me to pick you up at the end of the driveway at the end of the day? And he said, no, I, I want to walk back to the house. I want, I want some time to quiet down and just have my own time. And, um, I know exactly where he gets that from. Uh, there ain't no, no line about that. But I think, like, for him, I, I want him to have that resilience of, hey, when you get knocked down, the best way is to get right back in, right? Like, Jason, I'm not seeing a video of any of your kids getting bucked off a horse just yet, um, but the time will come when they do. And, you know, the I've always been told, hey, best way to get it do just get back in that saddle and ride right again um but i've had to apologize to my kids because i've been angry and i've been frustrated and um they haven't met the expectations i set for them which were unfair completely uh and you know i just have to own that that's that's me being self-aware but yeah the day and age we live now it just creates a different environment and where i'm at as a human um, and as a man and as a father and a husband and a friend, it just, I don't know, I try to be aware of where I'm at. And if I'm in a space that's off, I need to, I need to create that balance in my own life before I can push that on them. And it's, it's not fair to them. If I'm, if I had a crappy day at work, um, it's not, not fair to them. I come home with all that, that baggage. Yeah. You know, and I think that is one of the hardest things as a parent, as a father to do is to not put your emotions onto your kids or onto your wife. Um, because you know, so much happens throughout the day. Um, you know, work sucks. Calf died whatever it may be, you know, you're, you're finding out your sweet corn's failing, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but obviously, you know, that's not your wife's fault. That's not your kid's fault, but it is so easy to take it out on them. Um, you know, and I think the biggest thing, obviously none of us are perfect. 
but I think the biggest thing is to make sure you allow that grace for yourself, but also to allow, extend that same grace to them when they're not their best as well. Um, you know, just a whole lot of forgiveness comes with being loving, I guess. Jason, if I can interject as the old guy here, I think I am the oldest, actually. That's by a lot. Uh, it's by a that, lot. <laughs> you know, I liked you there for a minute. Anyways, um, so one I just there's two things I wanna I wanna mention is that, you know, I can remember being 25, 26, 27, you know, and always grinding. You know, it was always work, work, work. And it's like, oh, if I, you know, if I do this, you know, then I'll have the money to do the stuff that I want to do with my kids later. And I, I will tell you guys that are younger and I'll tell everybody else until they're, until I'm blue in the face, man, don't wait for that. You know, all of a sudden then I, here I was 45 years old, divorced for the third time, uh, didn't have a very good relationship with my kids at the time because of my, the, the, the wife that I divorced, um, you know, and, and I remember when my daughter, Harley, was 23, I was like, are we ever going to do anything? Like, I've been trying to get you and Parker together to do something, you know, with your, with your dad. And she was like, you know, no offense, Pops, but we're at the age now that you were at when you had us. And, you know, now we've got lives and we've got jobs and we've got things to do and, and, and stuff like that. And, man, you talk about getting smacked upside the head with a two-by, with the proverbial two-by-four. Like it hit hard. It hit so hard that it like it spiraled me there for a while. And the other thing that that I kind of wanted wanted to real quick say is that I had a one of my female friends reach out to me one time, and we were talking back and forth. We talk all the time, and and we were texting or messaging. And I said, "Hey, what's going on?" And she's like, "What do you mean?" And I said, "What's bothering you today?" And she's like, "How did you know?" And I said, "Well, your answers aren't the same. Like you're you know you're real short." I said, "I've been married long enough to know when a woman's not answering the full question, you know." and uh or married enough times anyways <laughs> and uh she said she said well i'm just having a rough day but she says i'm trying to keep it get keep it together for the kids and i heard i saw me type the words and i couldn't believe i was typing the words but i'm like why do you have to be strong for your kids why can't you show your kids your vulnerability why can't you sit down and have a conversation at your kitchen table and say hey mom's having a bad day have us, you know, if, if mom's having a dead, bad day, we're going to start having a safe word. And when mom says hippopotamus, your happy butts go to your room or you go outside and play or you get away from mom for 10 minutes so she can regroup herself. And I like that my friend was like, that is the most profound thing, thing I've ever read. You know, and, and, and the thing I think it does, guys, is that one, it shows that we're vulnerable. It shows that we have that soft side. If you want, I hate that word. What I like is it shows that we have a normal human side that we have that emotional side that they can see that, that, that sad emotion or that, you know, we show them when we're happy and we can kind of show them when we're angry with no, with no problems. Well, what about showing them when we're, when we're down and stuff? The other thing it does is that when they become older and adults and they start getting into relationships, man, they pass that on to their kids. Yep. Like, and we've now broke the cycle and stigma of everything that's been like bad in our society for so, so long, you know, and I, I know it sounds simplistic and there's a reason for that because it freaking is. Well, I mean, it's just, as for me, okay, I'm going to use my own experience here and again, my parents did the best they could. Um, they did a great job. And I'm so happy with my childhood. 
parents, but I didn't see my parents struggle very much. I didn't see my parents fight very much. I didn't know much was ever wrong, which on the surface sounds really great, right? Until you reach adulthood and you don't know how to struggle. Uh, and I think that's been one of my hardest things as an adult, something I still <laughs> struggle with is even knowing how to struggle in the first place. And I, I think that's one, one of the most valuable lessons that, like you say, Jeff, is to teach and, and lead by example for the next generation is to let them know, hey, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes bad things happen and, and it makes me upset. It makes me sad. And that's okay. We're still, we're still going to push forward. We're still going to move on, but we're going to have to deal with this in whatever way we can. And, you know, Nathan, I know you're super open about that, about how you deal with things and how someone else deals with things. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate how open you are and I appreciate, and I've, I, I've related the story that you told about your friend and the hogs, uh, almost every time, every talk I give on many podcasts. And, uh, that's been one of the most impactful stories I've heard throughout all these two years of podcast. And, you know, I really appreciate that. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> putting it out there and being willing to talk about it and, and to share our experiences is so important. And, you know, I, I actually had the opportunity a few weeks ago, uh, I had Adrian DeSutter over and we had a, a conversation in our County fair. And I actually had the guy that has always got out up there on stage with us. And, you know, and he said, you know, I asked him, I said, can you come participate in this? I said, you know, I said, I got Adrian coming. She's going to do a presentation. I said, at the end of it, I said, I'd like to have just an open conversation with you and Adrian and myself up there um, and, and just, you know, share your experiences. And, and he's like, you know, he's like, man, he says, you know, I, I'm I've okay with being the spokesman that records some videos and stuff of him. Um, and his experiences with his counseling and things, but he's like, you know, he's like, this is hard. He's like, you know, this is in front of my peers. This is in real life. And, you know, we got him up there and, and he was, you know, very, very forthcoming in things and more forthcoming than I ever imagined that he was going to be. Um, and we got to talking about that afterwards and, and he's like, you know, he said, I don't know if I should hate you right now or if I should love you because he says I was scared to death, but he says, I feel better now that I've been able to get it off my chest and get it out there. Yeah. Than I have felt the whole time that I've been going through counseling and everything else, just to, you know, knowing that I'm putting myself out there, I'm being vulnerable and that I may help somebody else that's been where I've been. And, and that was a really cool experience that I had with him. And, yeah, I mean, just getting it out there, you know, with the kids and stuff, I struggle, too, with, with how do you teach them and show them the right ways. And, and you know, I know that I, I push my emotions on them more than I should. Um, but that's something that, you know, the wife and myself and, and the kids, we – you know, we're, we're trying to work through that and figure out what's best for us and the family. So, 
um, is just trying to every day, trying to keep moving that foot in front of the other. So how do you see your kids respond? They're, they're, your kids are kind of like mine and you're about the same age, a little bit older. Um, how do they kind of respond to that? And, and how do you see it affecting them? Well, all three of them are so different. We have, right. yeah. you know, Luke has, as Luke is Luke and, and loving to death. You know, he's just this wild, raw, free-spirited kid that, I mean, he is the one that has turned my hair gray faster than the other two, I believe, <laughs> just because, it's, you know, he doesn't you, think the hair. way that everybody else does. And, you know, I mean, we, we've been working with him on, you know, emotions. We've been working on him with routines and, and you know, it's hard. And I don't know, I, I don't have the answers. I'm still trying to figure those out. And then I've got, you know, Ella, my youngest, she just turned nine, but, uh, you know, she's, she's the one that is, she's got her stuff together. She's got, you know, she told me back in the spring that she wanted to raise, she wanted a horse. And, and of course, you know, I'm not, I'm not Jason Meadows and going to go out and buy my kids horses. I mean, <laughs> that's just not my genes. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, she, she put up a lemonade stand and we live a quarter mile off the road, but she put up a lemonade stand out here in the front yard. And I think she raised over a hundred dollars that day just by putting one on the front porch. Well, then she came home the other day after the county fair was over and she sold her livestock, you know, from the county fair. She's like, dad, I got $600. I found a horse for $600. We need to buy this horse. And I'm like, uh, oh my gosh, you are wearing me out, girl. And she is, she wears the pants. She, I, she done stole her mother's pants and she wears them quite well. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and then, then I got Koi and he is one minute. He's super loving. And the next minute he is super stubborn. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I remember myself growing up, my parents split when I was about their age and, you know, I never had felt, I never felt really love i mean not that i wasn't loved but you know i remember the first time my dad told me that he was proud of me and i was like i don't know i was like 14 or 15 year old you know when that happened and i mean it, i remember breaking down crying because it was like the first time i'd ever heard my dad say that i was proud of me and that's one thing that i have tried to incorporate almost on a daily basis with my kids is making sure that they know that i love them and that no matter what, no matter what kind of struggles we have as a family, what kind of struggles we have on the farm, what kind of struggles they're having in school, that I am, I am so super proud of them. And, and, you know, I'm here for them. I do anything and everything for them. I think one of the most uh, valuable things that I've learned as a dad, as far as when you talk about being proud and, um, and, and everything is, not to be so proud of the achievements, but it'd be a proud of, of the effort. You know, yep. the achievements are, 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 are second. They're, 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 you know, they're extra. I feel like, I mean, you have, you get the effort, you give the effort, then the, then the achievements come. But, you know, so like I found out really fast that like when you try to like hope, 
I mean, obviously you want your kids to do the best they can always. And, you know, the, uh, a lot of times the way that's rewarded is through achievements, but you know, you always want them to give their best effort and you always want to praise that effort or, or, or talk to them about their effort. Not so much about how they won or lost or whatever. Um, but you know, how they did it and how they worked and, you know, how they cared for someone, you know, I'll, and I'll, the the county fair is always a great example for me um, because you can just see it and um, you know it's it's hard for a kid. So my kids and I'm going to talk to Hank about this too. Um, it's hard for us to like really compete at the way or quote unquote compete the way we do it. We bring the cattle that are uh, from our farm. They're not show cattle. Um, so it's hard for our kids to understand that, Hey, they're not going to, they're entering this thing, but they're not going to win. Um, but it's so more than so much, so much more about the experience and seeing how a community can support and the friends that they make and the memories they have. They're never going to remember who won what when, but they're going to remember the friends they have, the times that they got to work with their brothers and with their mom and dad, and they stayed, they camped up there. Um, you know, and that's just, that goes across the board about, you know, the experiences of childhood in that, it's more about the, like I said, more about the experience than the results. And uh, hey, Jason, yeah, to kind of piggyback off of that, I had, I had one of my softball, one of my former softball girls. For you guys that don't know, I coach uh, girls softball. Uh, usually, like fourth through uh, eighth grade, because most of them are shorter than I am. Not all of them, but anyways. <laughs> but one of the one of the one of the players that I didn't really. Uh, gel with right away uh we actually ended up becoming pretty close and she sent me something the other night and i just want to read it to you quick but it says don't coach youth sport don't coach youth sports to try and win as many games as you can coach youth sports to try and positively influence as many lives as you can mm -hmm. and she goes this reminds me of you coach and i thought that could actually, you know, I was listening to you talk just now, Jason, and that's what kind of triggered that. But I'm thinking to myself, that's the kind of things we should be doing with our kids. Who, like, you know, my kids weren't active in sports or anything like that. They did some FFA stuff and 4-H stuff and stuff like that, and they like to show and whatnot. But, you know, I'm looking at them now, and my daughter's a phenomenal mom. I mean, she didn't get her parenting skills from me. I didn't guarantee you that. My, my, my daughter, I am so ridiculously proud of her. My son, he goes and elopes. Uh, becomes a manager of Farm and Fleet, you know, one of the youngest managers around, gets a promotion, you know, everything he touched turns to gold. And I'm thinking to myself, why are we not doing this already with our kids? Why are we not doing this in general? Why are we not coaching people to influence them instead of to always win? You know, I can remember judging uh, interview contests for uh, FFA. For those of you that don't know, that's like when they actually do an interview and they got to do the resume and stuff like that. And I had this mom come up to me because her daughter, I placed her at the bottom of the very bottom of the totem pole. And she just got all in my face. And I told her, I says, first of all, I says, you're going to have to teach your kids to lose. Mm -hmm. We're not going to win all the time. Second of all, when she does go in for an interview for a major corporation or, or a job, are you going to go in and, and chew out the HR director for, for doing this? And when I talked to the daughter and the mom walked away all huffy, 
when I talked to the daughter later, I told her, I said, this is why I did what I did. I says, you have potential, but you didn't bring your A game tonight. And I'm sorry, other people brought their A game. Fast forward eight years later, and she's now an HR director at a very prestigious company. You know, and she sent me a letter when she got her when she got her job, and she's like, every interview I did from the time I left that performance or that contest until I got my job, she goes, I remembered you telling me that I had potential. And she said, that's the one thing nobody ever told me. They always told me that I was great at everything that I did. You know, my parents kind of patted me on the back every time I did something or whatever. It's okay. You know, it's okay to tell our kids that they're not doing up to their potential or that they're, you know, mm -hmm. we don't have to sugarcoat that stuff all the time either. So, I mean, because our kids will tell us if we're not living up to their potential. Right. I mean, right. So why wouldn't, why not return it? Yeah, no. Right. Right. So, Henry, you got to come down and visit our family during the county fair and experience what that was like. And it was a neat experience for you because you and your family are are kind of dipping your toes into the 4-H life as well. And, you know, I kind of want to see what, you know, I know you've written about this, but tell everybody kind of what your experience was with that and uh, seeing it from kind of an outside perspective. Well, when I came down to see you, it was very fascinating because I understood the hard work that went into raising those animals with talking through you and learning about everything. And then I sat and watched that judge. And that judge was basing everything on that animal and the structure of the animal and really had nothing to do with the showmanship of the kids. And I, that really just did not sit well with me because those kids were there to learn and be judged on how well they raise the animal, treat the animal, so forth. And so that really left a weird taste in my mouth, you know, about how that process went down. But it was a good insight into the cattle industry. Uh, so that show was right before our, we got back and our son had his show. And it was our first year ever raising an animal. And we have a little different situation because we live in the city. So our calf was kept out on a farm uh, about a half hour away from us. So anytime we want to go work with an animal, it's a pretty big commitment to drive out there, work with the animal, feed the animal, come back kind of thing. And so it got down to showtime for our son, and he, uh, he got up there, he did his thing, they walked around the crowd, and he came in dead last. But he had no idea. He got a 77 out of 100 points, but he still got a blue ribbon. And when he came out of that pin, the show pin, and he ran up to his mom, and he gave his mom the biggest hug he'd ever given her because he got that blue ribbon. And it really was kind of that moment for me where it wasn't about winning first place. He was just happy that he got a ribbon. And we kind of made me reflect on everything we had learned and the whole process. And uh, he's going to grow. And another dad came up and made a good point. He said, if you, he told my son, if you had won first place, and this is your first year, you have nowhere to go. You, you did the best, right? So now you have something to work on, something to grow. And I kind of relate that a lot to like mental health and everything else. You, like, you, everything is a learning process. You learn as you grow, you keep growing, you keep going. And uh, so it was kind of, it was neat to relate everything and see the higher level on your end down there when we came to see you guys and see our end. And uh, it's been a very fascinating experience. And, you know, everyone in the agricultural world has been so kind 
uh, we, you know, they know we live in the city and everyone, everyone has good advice to pass along. If you ask any questions, you know, like, like the, one of the family brought over their blower so we could blow dry the, the cow and, you know, the calf off and everything. And it, it was just a very, very unique experience, a big eye opener and a lot of fun. So I think it's really, you know, I had no idea anything like that existed where, you know, I, you live uh, in, in Omaha or around Omaha, Bellevue. So, um, you know, you live in a neighborhood in a subdivision, um, but I didn't realize there were places where you could just go out and, and maybe that's different where you're, where you're at in the country. Um, but to have a place where you can go out and give that experience to your kids, I feel like, I think that is, I, that is really fascinating to me. And I didn't know that really even existed. So, um, I think it's, I think it's awesome. We, uh, part of being in, in the show, we spend, you know, three or four days down there at the County fair with the calf tied up. And so they always ask people to be around, uh, because the people going to the care, the fair, they love to walk through and look at the animals. And so I talked to a lot of people who had been in 4-H themselves, but now they live in the city. They don't live in a rural community anymore. And same thing, they had no idea that there are 4-H programs out there they can get their kids involved with. And you don't have to live on a farm. You don't have to keep the animal in your property. The guy that founded the club where we were at, he, he saw the need years ago. And he went to the local schools and said, hey, I want to start a club up. Can you give me some names of kids that are interested? And they gave him like 40, 50 names. And, and the first club meeting was like seven people. But it's grown since then. It's about 30 families now that keep their animals out there. And uh, it's, it's definitely a need for it. And it, it was just great to learn that. Uh, and, it's, and my biggest thing is because I spend so much time on ag Twitter, I always hear people complain about the city people don't know where their food comes from, yada, 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 and so forth. So I thought it was a great opportunity to bridge that gap between the agricultural life in the city and show the farmers that there are a lot of people that do care. They just don't know that the resources are out there. Yeah, I was at the uh, Everyday Mizzou, well, before, I don't know if they're doing it this year, but uh, every year before 2020, they had a 4-H day at Mizzou at the football games. And, uh, you know, they had a, a whole, like, uh, picnic beforehand playing games and stuff and then y'all walk over to the game together and I tell you one of the things that impressed me most was there was a group of inner city kids 4-H kids from inner city Kansas City and I just thought man how cool is that that obviously these kids didn't live on a farm uh, they did not live in a rural community they lived like I said in the biggest city in Missouri um, you know, in the middle of concrete but they had someone take up an interest enough in agriculture to get them involved. And, you know, I think there are opportunities like that. And I think you may bring up a really good point, uh, Henry, in that it's not, it, it, it's, it's kind of a two way street. I mean, there are, and don't get me wrong. There are, there are perspectives from people who have no idea about agriculture and try to uh, harp and preach on that. And that drives me insane, but there are people who are genuinely curious and are genuinely trying to uh, bridge that gap. Like you said, and uh, I think we need to pay more attention to that pay, take a little bit less attention away about bitching about who's, uh, doing right and wrong um, and focus on the people who 
uh, really are doing things well. And I think that's another great point to what you guys are doing. Jeff, go ahead. Well, back here in Wisconsin, like in Greene County here, we have a 4-H club that's called Town and Country Kids. And they are kids that live in the country and live in town that have no agricultural background whatsoever. So they do, you know, they can do like what Hank did. They can come out to a farm and they can, you know, help raise a calf or they can do like, um, you know, horticulture and that kind of stuff. But, you know, Hank brought up a really good point about this dis this, this disconnect between the consumer and what we're doing. And, you know, we complain about the consumer all the time methodically and when i was county farm bureau president in my 10 my 10 years as county farm bureau president the thing that i said the most was that we need to stop being reactive and start being proactive yes that's the same philosophy i have in mental health you know my son when we had a young man die by suicide back here at the age of i think he was 11 or 12 i can't remember for sure um, but I'm very good friends with his parents now and we do some stuff together. I remember all the tweets and all the Facebook posts, you know, oh, we're so sorry, you know, oh, I wish I would have talked to you more, blah, blah, blah. And my son who had Twitter, which I didn't even know, <laughs> sent out this tweet because somebody sent it to me and they're like, your kid is profound. And Parker at the time was like 14, 15 years old. And he goes, why are all of you concerned about him now? He's gone where were you when he was here like now we need to take care of his family and stuff and you know that's the one thing that i that i so much like about you jason and, and quentin and, and nathan and and tyler if i knew you better i'd probably like you more too of course and you made that comment earlier so whatever but you know the whole thing the whole thing of it is is that you know that's what we need to to push is to be proactive we need to ask the questions we need to persuade people we need to reach out in the middle of the day and say, Nathan, are you all right? Like I saw your, I, I saw your, she obviously looks like her mother. <laughs> but, but you know, and, and, and even like, it's interesting because I look at like Quentin's operation. When I would see Quentin's uh, stuff on, on Facebook, and then when Quentin sent me his his decals, which I put everywhere, I have one on my freaking motorcycle carrying cup, and I have one on my car and stuff, you know. And I'm like, man, I don't have any freaking cool st stickers. But I can remember when I used to like compare myself to where people were at because of that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, I would read the stuff that Quentin would write, and I'm like, oh my god, Quentin gets it. Like he understands. Like he's trying to bridge that gap. He's not. He's not just going to be sitting there in his combine and then all of a sudden he sees something on Twitter and he's like, oh, I'm going to react to this. No, he's already put it out there so that those kinds of things don't have to be there. You and Carrie, Jason, are prime examples of it too. Like the stuff that Carrie, like I would love to do yoga, but I'm pretty sure I get stuck in a position I never get out of again. And Hank thinks I've already got my head there anyway, so whatever. I mean, it is what it is. But, but you know, it just like that's what that's what I admire about our little group. And Tyler, I'm sure you're doing the same thing, but – you know, that's what I admire about our little group is that we're taking that proactive stance. We're not bullshitting with people. We're not, we're not going, we're not putting ourselves out to pasture. We're not talking about the grass being greener on the other side. We are taking the here and now and we are saying how it is. And we are telling men and farmers and people and everybody that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to break the stigma. It's okay to, to love your kids. It's okay to cry in front of them. We're taking that proactive stance which is so incredibly important instead of going, well, if we would have done this, this wouldn't have happened. You know, and I, I, I think that's the thing, you know, going forward, especially this, the six of us, that is something that we really, 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 really need to instill in the people that we admire, the people that we trust, the people that we're talking to is that we have got 
to be proactive. Yep. Reactive doesn't save lives. Proactive does. If you put out there that, you know, Quentin, for like you, if you put something out there that says, you know, we just had 125 bushel corn. The reason we only have 125 bushel corn is because, you know, we didn't get the timely rains or we had too much sun or whatever, but, you know, we're still harvesting this. And this means this much loss of income for our farm. And so that's this much more money that we can't put into our community because Lord knows none of us farmers are going to reinvest that money or put that money in the bank. We're going to reinvest it in stuff. We're going to, we're going to build our communities. Then people, when they see Quentin out there doing his stuff, they're going to be like, man, Quentin worked hard for that combine. Quentin worked hard for that grain cart. Quentin, you know, really had to figure out how to juggle things in order to make these kinds of things work. And, and, and that's, that's the part that I think the six of us get in a lot of our society doesn't really understand. Well, you're hundred percent right. hundred percent right. Go ahead, Nathan. You have something. Well, I was just going to say, you know, everybody can't be a BTO like Quentin is, but <laughs> you know, I was having this a very exact same conversation with a friend of mine the other day, you know, because, and I don't know how things are, I don't know how things are where you guys are, but, you know, farming around in our community, things, you know, up until last, I don't know, two or three years, things, you know, we kind of had an idea where we were going and how things were going to turn out. And, and, you know, there was opportunities there. Well, then the last couple of years, things have, you know, the world is changing around us. And, and we've had, we were having the conversation of, you know, where do our farms go from where they are today? And, and, you know, the friend I was talking to, he kind of looked at me, he's like, you know, he said, do you ever wonder that, and he said, I'm not saying what you do on a daily basis is, is bad. You know, the stuff you do outside the farm, you know, I'm involved in cover crops and trying to promote soil health and that kind of stuff, along with all the mental health stuff that I do. And he's like, do you, do you ever wish you just, stayed home and and didn't put all that out there and and you kind of saved it for yourself and tried to you know tried to grow your farm and advance your farm and I, I just it kind of blew me back for a minute and I thought you know made me evaluate why I was doing it and, and you know and I told him I said you know at the end of the day if, if I grow my farm you know another hundred acres or you know another 10 cows you know that only really is going to affect me. I said, but then at the end of the day, if I can put something out there and have a conversation with somebody that keeps them from doing something to themselves or helps them get through that, that low patch in life, I said, that, that right there is more impactful than anything else that I can do. And, and so am I, you know, Am I glad that I'm vulnerable all the time out there? You know, is it easy? No, it's not easy. But, you know, at the end of the day, I would rather be known as the guy that cared about my community and loved my community and wanted the best for the people around me than the guy that put his, put his nose to the grindstone and worked and all he did was build, you know, build wealth and whatever and, and never shared it with anybody. I mean, it's, it's, my viewpoint in life, my point, my purpose in life is, yeah, I'm here. I have to make a living and I love what I do. I love farming, but if I can't better those around me, then what's the point in me being here? No, you may, you make a, and I, I, when I started the podcast, 
you know, I was searching. I wanted to be, I'm like you, like I wanted to do something like I wanted it to be more than just about me. Right. And for years though, I'm like, I'm, I was like, you were saying I was that guy. I was like, Oh, I want to get bigger. I want to do more. I want to do more things. Uh, you know, I want to leave this, uh, legacy. Um, but then I realized like the way I can leave a legacy is doing the things like you're talking about, Nathan. And it's, it's, it's like you say, it's not always easy. In fact, it, it's, it's really hard, but it's like you say, if you can make the world easier for even just one person, then all your effort is worth it. And, and Quentin, I'm going to bring it to you. And this is something that you have talked to me about in private and it's the, the effect of social media. And let's face it, social media, if it didn't exist, none of us would probably be friends. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And, you know, Quentin, I want you to talk about like what that's meant for you, because I know you have talked about how you are naturally an introvert um, and how this has made, how social media has made that, made you connecting with people just a little bit easier. Exactly. Yeah. Just going back to what Nathan said. I mean, it's nice to go out there and do all that. And my introvert self, I'd love to stay at home on the farm every day, but, uh, it's, it's done wonders getting to use social media. I get to think about what I and put out there from day to day, what I'm doing, tell a little bit of the story and hopefully help somebody along the way. If it weren't for social media, I'd probably never do that. And I wouldn't have got off the farm as much as I have and met you down in San Antonio and got to know Henry and meet up with him all the time. And, I got to meet the other three out there, the Ohio and Wisconsin guy. But uh, I talk to them all the time too. And just these group chats, we got together. You meet, I don't know how many dozens of people I meet a year. Just, I never would have done it without social media. Be, give it, use it, use it for a positive way. It's like being proactive, as Dit said, that's the, that's the thing to do. Just go out there, tell your story, do your thing, help somebody. It's, I try to keep it not about me. It's about the farm. It's about a story. It's about to help somebody. So yeah, just want to, this is nice. I get to sit back and listen to you guys talk and it's kind of nice. So then you throw me out here. But, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I, gotta, I, I, thought you I, gotta just, say, I saw you nodding <laughs> off there. <laughs> I got to say then one I, thing though. If you ever want free hats, go to a farm show with Quentin. They just hand him <laughs> stuff. Back in February, I got to go to the farm show. It was him, uh, Matt from Manure Mafia, Steve out of Kansas. And I'm walking along just minding my own business. People are just throwing hats at me. I mean, you know, it's just, you got to go with Quentin. He gets the hats. Everyone, but joking aside, that's because he has a good presence on social media. Everyone knows who Quentin is. And they're, you know, giving stuff to promote or whatever. So you follow him around, you'll get some free stuff. <laughs> Listen, I always like to take the extroverts with me because they always talk to everybody and I just kind of get to sit back and <laughs> just get the nobody knows who you are really rewards. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Last time I hung out with Hank, he was in my hometown. I almost got ran out for crying out loud. <laughs> but you know, there's you a, know, there's a, there, go ahead, go ahead, Hank. I was saying, you know, it's just funny because I went and saw Jeff and I was sicker than a dog. I don't know what I had, probably COVID or whatever, but I was so sick, but I love seeing Jeff so much. And when I went down in February to that farm show with Quentin, that night I went to the hospital and spent five days in critical yeah, care. So yeah. I'm going to stop meeting people because every time I do, <laughs> I get sick somehow. 
Except for Jason. Except I went and saw when Jason. You come to Missouri. Well, that's because you're coming to God's country. Yeah, maybe the heat. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> that devil yeah. heat humidity killed I anything I had. <laughs> I do want to share something with you guys that I do on a daily basis, and Hank knows this because he gets them, but, you know, there's other social media platforms, and when I, you know, back when we first got cell phones and we started texting, one of the things I used to do every day was send out 10, ran 10 random texts, you know, just to friends and be like, hey, I appreciate you. You know, hope things are good. You know, you matter, stuff like that. You know, just 10 random people out of my phone. And every day I would get a, at least a 50% 50, uh, response rate of, hey, I needed to hear that or thank you, except for my mom who was like, what do you need? Um, but anyways, uh, actually I quit sending it to her, whatever. So, but then when, when Snapchat came out and I know, you know, Tyler's probably, Tyler and Quentin are probably like, what the, well, Jason might even you know, what the hell's a 51 year old doing with Snapchat? Let me tell you what, my daughter is gorgeous. And when she was in high school, I wanted to know what she was doing. I just found out like two and a half, three years ago that she had two Snapchat accounts. So I didn't even know the crap that she was doing. So, so I'm telling you right now, guys, check what your kids are doing with their phone. But anyways, with Snapchat, the cool thing about it is, is that I can find like an inspirational saying every day, or I can find a, uh, uh, you know, a pick me up or a, or just one of those scenes. It's like, you know what? It's okay to be down today or it's okay to have your demons and to fight them and stuff. And, and sometimes I'll even, you know, I'll record myself. Hank loves these cause he just loves to see my pretty face all the time. But I'll record myself and I'll be like, you, yeah, you, you listening to this. Hey, I appreciate you and you matter. Have a great day. And I'll send that out. And, and what started out as 10 turned to 20 turned to 30. Today, I sent out 190 of them because now I have people that are like, if I don't send them to them for like two days in a row, they're like, Ditch, are you mad at me? I haven't gotten a Snapchat of the day. But I think about the impact of that because I still get a 60 to 75% response rate of people saying things like, oh, I needed to hear that. Or I know somebody who's going through something that needs to hear that. You know, we're, we as a whole, the six of us are using social media in a really good positive way but you know there's other ways to influence you know people on a daily basis so let's think about that for a second yeah. if the six of us each sent out even just 10 that's 60 messages that are getting sent out what kind of a ripple does that start what happens with you know oh man i really like quentin quentin sent me a a, a text message that told me to have a good day you know what I'm going to send it to Nathan and then Nathan sends it to Jason and Jason like, I already got this today. So I'm going to send it to somebody else, you know, but it's just that, that, you know, some of that, not only positive reinforcement, but it also gets rid of some of that um, positive tox toxicity that a lot of us are, are really starting to get fed up with. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, Jason, you know, that hasn't really happened, but Jason will reach out and be like, Oh, did some having a bad day. And I'll be like, well, you know what? there's somebody having a worse day than you or you know oh my cat died well so and so's dog died or you know oh it'll be better tomorrow you know like how bad can it really be bullshit let us have our moments yeah. you know why can't we tell people that it's okay to be down and dumpy and and you know i you know and i always tell people it's okay to not be okay just don't stay there you know right there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with just validating someone's bad day people have them all the time and i even said in my i even said in that documentary there towards the end i was like i still have bad days but i use my bad days to remind me that someone else out there is also having a bad day at some point in time and i don't want them to feel the same way and i want to try to have some kind of a listening ear 
or some kind of something for them, whether that's sitting down and listening to them vent or grabbing the phone and listening to them vent or, you know, meeting for ice cream or whatever the case may be, you know, I want to, I want to have that available for them because some of my healing comes from helping other people. Yeah. But Dits, no. I want to thank you for that because I, I have heard you talk about that before and for the last Oh, I don't know, last year, year and a half, I've been doing that and recording videos. And like you say, the, the, the response rate that I have gotten from people that, you know, and actually I got one just two days, or I got one on Monday from a friend of mine that says, Hey, you know, I hope you're having a fantastic day. You know, was just thinking about you. And it's just the power of that, that knowing that somebody is thinking of you and is willing to take you know, two minutes out of their day or a minute out of their day to, to send something to you that, that means all the world uh, to people on, on those days. So I, I have a new rule that I've put upon myself. Like if somebody pops into my head, just, I start thinking about someone, I contact them somehow, whether that be text message, Facebook message, whatever, just, Hey, I'm thinking about you, hoping you're doing okay. Because I don't think things happen by coincidence. And uh, maybe that person needed that for, for whatever reason, you know, who knows? So, I mean, that's my new, like, it's, but, but I like Jeff's approach too, because it's, it's totally, it seems random, but you don't know what that's going to do for someone. You don't know what's that saying, hey, hope you have a good day. It seems simple, right? It seems like it's not a big deal, but man, just the thought, like I said, Nathan, the thought of knowing that someone is thinking or, or, or cares, uh, you, never, you, you never know what kind of difference that can make in the progression of someone's day or week or whatever. When we did the documentary, one of my farmer friends who I'm also in theater with, uh, was one of the people that we were talking to. And one of the things we talked about QPR is planting seeds. And he said it when we were there. I'm like, you know, how do we change this? And he's like, dude, we got to plant the seeds. You know, and that's kind of a blind faith thing that we as agriculturists do. All of us that are farmers do that. And Hank with his tomatoes. Um, you know, you plant. <laughs> Sorry, dude, I couldn't resist. So let's be honest, Tracy's doing all the work. But regardless, um, you know, the thing of it is, is that when we when we put seeds in the ground when we plant those seeds in the ground we don't know what's going to happen we don't know if we're going to have a good crop you know you hope like hell that you put them in and you get the right fertilizer and you get the right soil composition you get the right soil temperatures and you get the right amount of sun and rain and fertilizer and all that kind of stuff but you don't know and that's the same thing when you say something nice to someone or you randomly send them a message or you reach randomly reach out to somebody and say hey how you doing man for all you know you know, they were having a rough day and now you've planted that seed or maybe they're having a good day, but when they do have that bad day, you know, they remember, oh, you know what, Quentin sent me that text that one day. I'm just going to, I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to reach out to him and see what he thinks about it. And Quentin's going to be all about it. Quentin's going to be the fertilizer. He's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to grow this seed. I'm going to, you know, and, and, and I saw something a while back that says, maybe if you're in a dark place, it's not really that bad. Maybe you're just a seed that's been planted. And that hit me freaking hard because it's the same concept. I mean, all of us here can talk about the dark places that we've been. You know, I, I vividly remember mine more than I really want to. But, you know, by the grace of God, by some good weather, by some fertilizer, by, you know, 
you know, someone caretaking for the, for the ground around me, here we are having an awesome conversation and, and changing the world six guys at a time. 100%. Yeah, I think like one of the things that when my wife and I had our miscarriage a few years ago, uh, a good friend of mine who'd gone through it too, he called me on a night that I def definitely needed it. Um, and he told me, he goes, Hey man, you gotta understand the old adage of just put your boots on and take steps is, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps is true. He goes, but trust me, you got to crawl. You got to army crawl. You got to climb through the mud. You got obstacles in your way. Eventually you will get to your feet, but don't think it's just going to happen overnight and it's okay to be in the mud. Um, he goes, but that's the same reason I'm here. Cause I've been in the mud. I'll be in the mud again and I'm here right with you. And that's really stuck with me because now it's, you know, like just everything I go through, I just tell everybody, you know, you got to work your way through the storms, right? We're, we're guaranteed storms in life. We just got to work our way through them. And it is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you better bet you're going to do some army crawling in the mud and you're going to get dirty and you're going to get cut and scraped and you're going to remember that, but you're going to grow. Um, but, you know, in the same token, I went to Colorado two weeks ago on an elk hunt that I'd been prepping for for six months. And um, my expectation was not to even get close to seeing an elk. Um, and I got lucky enough to bring one home, but I had a buddy who went out and he, he's been going for 20 years and never got a shot at a bull elk. And he brought home a bull elk and a mule deer and a bear. And when I saw him at church that Sunday, when he got home, like, it was tears of joy. Like my kids saw me jump out of my car and run to him and give him a hug. Like I never grew up in an area that two men hugged and cried together mm -hmm. outside of a funeral. And even then it was a far stretch. Like to me, it, it's, it was so weird. The accomplishment was not necessarily the success. It was all of the effort that led into that success uh, and I think, you know, Jason, you mentioned it earlier, I think we've all seen it or done it. It's not necessarily the pinnacle that is the beauty of everything. It is the effort or the how we get there, right? I usually get the, Tyler, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. I don't know. You guys ever heard that or is it just me? Um, like for me, it's the same way. It's not necessarily what you got. It's how you got there. Um, and it's just, this world is always going to give us the stumbling blocks. And I think that you can't do it by yourself. We were never designed to do it by ourselves. You've got to have that group. You've got to have that battle buddy. You've got to have, I hate using the word accountability because it's so catchy right now, but you've got to have that group behind you to do it. And, I'm a part of several group messages and all of them always speak to that. It's not the Jeff, like you said, it's not always that, well, it'll get better tomorrow. It's, Hey man, we're right in here with you. We're in the trench with you. Um, we're battling too. Everybody's battling their demons every single day. Uh, we're not alone in this. And it's just been super eye opening to me. And I get half of my therapy from just sharing what I'm going through. Yep. It's able, it gives me a platform to get rid of it, right? You don't have to bury that deep inside, which is what I was taught or not physically taught. You just learn it. 
that you bury that stuff and you'll deal with it one day eventually, maybe, and you don't have to, right? Instagram story allows you to vent off. Yeah, we lost a calf today. And, you know, and then my son will tell me, well, it's okay, dad. We'll put him in the compost pile at Mr. Joel's and he'll go to fertilizer and fertilizer will grow the corn and we'll feed the corn to more cattle. And it's like, you're six. You're not allowed to think like that. Like <laughs> I, I need a moment here, but it just, that gives me that platform to get out that emotion. And it is, it is therapy to me to a certain extent. I don't, I didn't go into it thinking, how am I going to help myself in this? But uh, it's certainly added an aspect of my own self-help and self-awareness through that. 100%. Tyler, I think, I think you saying the word accountability, and I know you kind of said it tongue in cheek or something behind it, but you know, I can remember being bitter for a long, long time after my, after my suicide attempt, you know, front page of the paper, volunteer firefighter, you know, starts an abandoned house on fire. Nobody knew about my suicide attempt until just a few short years ago because I was less embarrassed to have a felony charge on my record than I was to admit that, you know, to admit that I was having mental problems and that I had tried to try to die by suicide. But one of the biggest turning points in my life was when I took full accountability for my actions. Were there things that, that, that influenced it? Yes. But at the end of the day, I still made the choice. Whether it was, whether it was a suicide attempt or not, I broke the law and there's consequences for that, you know? And, and, I, and I think that's one of the things that, that makes the six of us a little more potent and a little more relatable is that everything that's going on in our lives, whether it be our alcoholism, whether it be our suicide attempt, whether it be our whatever failures we've had, because Lord knows failure is part of life, every single one of us is accountable. You know, that's a word that I, I fear is going to be removed from the dictionary one of these days because, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's oh, it's somebody else's fault. You know, they're, you know blame the system, blame your parents, blame blame Hank, blame whoever you can, you know, it just because God forbid if we should take any kind of accountability. And that's the one thing that the community leaders in my community commend me on all the time. If I mess up, I take full accountability. If my board messes up, if the board for my nonprofit does something wrong, I take full accountability because I'm still at the helm of that ship. However, I'm also that one who's going to praise in public. Jason, your podcast was awesome. You know, great job, blah, blah, blah. If Jason's podcast isn't exactly what I envision it to be, I'm not going to say anything on Facebook. I'm going to go to Jason. I'm going to say, hey, Jason, like, I really like this part of your podcast. This part here, like, next time, this is what I would do differently. Do what you want, your podcast. But this is what I would do differently. But I love this part of it, you know, and still, and still come back with, with some of that stuff, too. People don't do that. Guys sure as hell don't do that. Like, we don't pat each other's on the on the back for for anything you know but it's it's really easy to be judgmental and not be accountable yeah uh, yeah that's a really good point i've never thought of it that way um because it is and you know there's so much it's so easy to just spout off some comment um but throw so many comments and so much like uh feedback is just kind of throwaway feedback but i think you're right i think there has to there needs to be more accountability um and also like constructive criticism because there isn't uh there is like you say in this soundbite you know 200 character world we have uh subjected ourselves to uh, it's who can make the most with the least amount of words and 
you know, that's why conversations like this one uh, are so valuable because it is much, it's much more than a few uh, sentences on Twitter. Um, it's, it gets much more deep than that. And that's why this is so valuable because uh, it's every, the, everything else is lacking the substance that is what we have uh, among the six of us tonight. <clears throat> The grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's gr it's greener where you tend to it. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. That, that's every aspect of your life and relationships you have. Yep. As a matter of fact. Yep. My wife tells me the grass is greener on the other side because I'm not over there messing it up. <laughs> that, that's that's true too. Your wife would be right. <laughs> All right. One uh, one thing I'd like to throw in real quick. Uh, go, Tyler yeah. was talking. And it made me think of, in the firefighting world, the best training we ever got was from the, the veteran seasoned guys that had been in there and done the job. And you could always learn from them versus the kid that was fresh out of school that read a book kind of thing. And I can relate that to the mental health world where, you know, some of us don't have the doctor's degree. We didn't go to school for mental health care but we've lived the life and it makes it easier for us to tell our stories or to relate to other people because you've been in the trenches and you can help relate to, I know what you're going through. Uh, it's kind of like when my daughter was going to rehab for drugs, it was hard for me to relate because I had never been a drug addict, you know, but so it's hard for me. I can't sit there and tell her, I know what you're going through. I know the pain because I don't know that stuff, but I can use other tools to help, you know, keep her positive and that's one thing I think really helps with the mental health world is listening to those that have been down. That's why I look so much to Jeff. I know Jeff has been through some really tough times. Uh, my own wife, you know, she's, she lost her dad this year and she's really struggling with a lot of family issues. I had to reach out to Jeff. I said, call Jeff. Jeff's going to know, you know, no, I think it's me, but when my wife hears me talk, is it, you know, hear, hearing it from someone else validates yeah. what I'm saying to her. And so I said, get a hold of Jeff. Jeff will tell you how it is. And, uh, and Jeff did. Jeff talked to her, and it made a huge difference. And she's, she's now getting some help and, and talking to some people and making a big difference. Now, you, may, you bring up a really good point there, and I, I'm glad you said that because um, I, I think one of the things that really improved Carrie and I's marriage is when I understood that she was not my therapist. I know that sounds funny, but like I used to, I used to bounce so much stuff off of her and um, I started to realize that, you know, maybe, maybe some things are better left not said to her, but that doesn't mean that they're, they don't need to be said just maybe to somebody else. And it's like you said, it's not always the, it's your, your spouse isn't always the best person to, to, to get this stuff out to. Um, and that's why it's valuable to have someone like, the, like you guys uh, to, to be that kind of, that person there who's, you know, not, I, I don't want to say non-biased because you're not biased because we do, uh, we do value <laughs> one another. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I think that it's so important to have that someone who isn't necessarily like, well, you don't share a bed with them, to be honest, um, <laughs> to, to have to bounce that off them because, um, you know, you can, there's, there's much less going into it, not expecting anything, I think is, is the key here.
the the one thing that I struggled with when I went through my therapy, especially early on, was that there is a phrase that a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists would say that pissed me off to no end. And that was, Oh, we know what you're feeling. Really? Cause you've been through, you've been through this or did you just read it in a book? You know, and I would, I would give it back to them. I fired so many freaking uh, doctors over that whole thing, you know, because that's a false statement. They don't know what you're feeling, you know, and that's one of the premises of tugs. I mean, it's the whole big ships need little ships. You know, when I'm having rough days, I don't normally reach out to Amanda you know, I either reach out to Hank as my first line of defense and then Nathan and then Jason and then Quentin when he was around more. I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit, but, you know, usually I get the problem. So, no offense, Quentin, Tyler, I don't know you. Whatever. We're going to change that. You do now. Dude, you were, you were less than five miles from my house. If What's you that? were in Pettisville Root Seeds, you were five miles from my house. Five miles. See, Meadows, you screw everything up. You five miles, up. Jason. Five <laughs> miles. Rube sees is right down the road. But anyways, <laughs> the, the thing of it is, is like the, the, the idea behind tugs is to have that person who isn't entirely biased. Like, you know, I can remember once sending a, sending a message to a buddy of mine who's one of my tugs, and I, this is a, quite a while ago, right after, shortly after tugs was, was founded. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm having a crap day because my lunch sucks. And he's like, what do you mean your lunch sucks? So I'm like, well, it's leftovers from last night. And he's like, well, who packed your lunch? And I said, well, at that time I was married. I'm like, well, my wife did. He's like, if you don't like your freaking lunch, pack your own lunch. <laughs> and I was like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Like I wanted him to validate my freaking being irritated. But then when the guy that I farm with was taken to the UW hospital with a brain tumor and had two hours to live, and all of a sudden now I'm running – 1800 acres by myself with no idea what was going to happen to him and i called my tug and i freaking like i couldn't even get the words out like i literally sobbed on the other end of the phone and all he said was i'm here to listen i'm here to listen you know and that's the difference between and and and, and the other struggle is too like for for you guys that are married the other struggle is too is that if you're venting about what's going on in your life Chances are your spouse is dealing with it already. Mm -hmm. So she's not going to sugarcoat it anymore. You know, she's going to be like, you know, whatever, Jason, go do some yoga or Quentin, go polish <laughs> your freaking combine or Hank, go live with your parents. I don't know. <laughs> you, just, you know, <laughs> get out of the house, go live in the garage. But, but that's the thing. Like, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Jason and, and Tyler both, because in, in, in Hank, because that is so, so important to find that support system that's outside of your support system. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't you don't I would I wouldn't ask no offense, Jason. I wouldn't ask you how to fix my combine, but I would ask Quentin. Right. 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 Even though it's green? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well you, you file a warranty claim. Sold, that's right. I forgot. I, I <laughs> dude, ours is paid for. I didn't make the decision on it. Whatever. I sold red and green both. I don't really care. As long as it gets the job done, I'm happy with it. But you make a good point. Like I still ask you. I mean, but seriously, like I'm gonna ask you, you know, stop. It's cool. What you know where I'm going with that. <laughs> I think it's it's crazy because when I I actually finally met Jason in person, I don't know what, three weeks ago, uh -huh. first right at the end of August. And uh me and my hunting partner met at Jason's because, well, where else am I going to leave a truck between Northwest Ohio and Central Colorado for two and a half weeks? And uh, my buddy was just shocked for hours. He talked, he goes, so you never knew that guy. Like you've never met him. I'm like, no, never met him a day in my life. He goes, well, you guys talk like you've known each other for years. I go, 
I think we've known each other for like seven months. And he's yeah. like, what? He goes, how can <laughs> this even happen? And I'm like, dude, you just, it, it just happened. And when you're honest and you're just honest and you listen to people, you build these relationships. And it was like, literally when we met, it was like, there was no other, just any other day. Hey, I walked over, I drove an hour to a buddy's house and that's just what it was. And it wasn't that weird to me, but my honey partner who is semi social media removed, he, it would just boggled his brain that that type of relationship is possible outside of your small town. Yeah. No, uh, so. I, I have, I probably shared his sentiment, you know, three years ago. Um, yeah. but it is, it is possible. Obviously. But look at, look at, look at the relationships we have now with each other. Like, it's just, you know, Hank, Hank friend requested me. You know what? I accepted his friend request. It wasn't because of his bright smiling face. It because he was a 49ers fan. <laughs> like, or his wife, whatever, you know, whatever. And I saw that his wife was from Wisconsin. Cause I kind of like, you know, I do, I do maybe do a little bit of some checking out or whatever, you know, and then to hear such a, such an awesome story, you know, in the relationship that Hank and I have now. And I tell you what, when Hank came to Wisconsin and we met that morning, it was the same conversation after he left because the docu the film documentary crew was there and they filmed Hank and I together. And later both Sam, Sam and Adam were like, like you guys acted like you've known each other for a hundred years. And I'm like, I feel like we've known each other for a hundred years. Cause there's no bullshit between us. Yeah. Like, it's just like with you and I too, Jason. I mean, we don't talk a lot, but when we do, it's good substance stuff. And like, I know that I can trust, what I'm going to say is you're not going to roll your eyes at it or Quinn's not going to be like, well, you run a green tractor, whatever, red tractor, whatever. <laughs> but but that, that's, that's so key. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I have two other men talking about the relationship that I have with Hank, the first time that we met, like that's how things get rolling. That's and like what Tyler did with, with uh, you know, when, with his hunting buddy and meeting you, Jason, like it's just, it's just profound to like how these, and Nathan and I, I don't even remember how the hell we even started talking to each other, but you know, it's just, yeah. I, it's, I don't know, dude, the, 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 the divine intervention thing I know exists and I'm fine with that because I am an ordained minister, but my God, there's just so many other things that are, that are just so elemental to this that, you know, I'm, I feel bad for people that don't have it. I really do. Yep. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, it's it's important to just continue to foster these relationships um, because it's right. It, it just, I am not fostering Hank. Ever, <laughs> just so you know, you know, one thing I'd like to add to what Jeff was saying though, is that, and that's part of the envy I have uh, of the rural community versus the city community is like, you go up to Tacoma, Nebraska, and you tell someone, you know, Quentin, all of a sudden you're that person's friend. Oh, you're a friend of Quentin. You're a friend of mine. You know, uh, that's that small town. Here in the city, it doesn't work that way. Oh, my neighbor is so-and-so. Oh, that's nice. You know, so th that's one thing I do, whether it be the agricultural side or the uh, mental health, it's that a friend of a friend becomes an instant friend kind of right. thing. And I, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fellas, I hate to tell you this, but I got to go to bed. Uh, What's it? Is it, it, it 8.30 already? Dude, it's, it's almost sorry, 10 o'clock here. I'm just getting rolling. You guys. Honestly, Jason, that, that beauty rest isn't doing squat for you. I so know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get all I can get. So I, I, I want to make sure we don't leave anything on the table here. Um, 
do you guys have anything to add to this um, before we part ways for the evening? I just think, Jason, what you're doing, and Quentin and everybody else too, but I think what what you guys are doing, the dynamic that that it brings, the the impact that it has, like is second to none. Like it's just it's really cool to hear different stories. It's 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 cool to hear the different personalities and feel how that gels together when we all know that we have the same purpose, but we're in entirely different stages. We're in entirely different towns, entirely different farming practices, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, if one of us is going to shed some tears, we know we've got, we know we've got people that are going to help us out. hundred percent. I consider all you guys like just such good friends. Like, and it's, it's like, it's crazy that it can be that way. You know, it's where Jeff and Nathan have not met you in person yet, which is freaking weird to say out loud because I just don't understand how that's even possible in the, the way I think of you guys. Um, but even the, I'm kind of sad about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the rest of you, I mean, everybody, even though, I mean, it's just uh, the friendships that have formed because of this podcast for me has just been. Uh, it's to me, it's been the greatest thing for me and I am, am for forever will be grateful for that. Yeah. It's also uh, want to thank you guys for always being here for me. It's always good to bounce ideas off of you guys. Good, bad, the ugly, all of it. So can't thank you guys enough and anybody else out there. Be there for your buddies. That's yep, for sure. Yep. Yep. Plant the seeds, boys. Plant yep. the seeds. Yep. Yep. Well, I just uh, this has been an honor to uh, to been on the two episode, and I I just value all of the friendships with all of you guys. I I think Jason Jason's kind of been the centerpiece. I think that's pulled us all together, and and thank you for what you've done, Jason, and what you continue to do, and and. You know, I think the six of us need to, we need to sit down and have more of these conversations and, and uh, we're all doing our own little things, our own little spaces. But, uh, you know, I think, I think there's room for us to, to join forces and, and really work on, on breaking down the stigma. And I just, you know, the way we closed out last time, guys, I love each and every one of you. I love you guys. All right, fellas. Have a great night. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. <laughs>